Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, night protection services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause hey guys welcome to another episode of surviving to thriving today i have with me jamie beckler he's the host of success is a choice podcast and author of three books including the bus trip He spent 20 years as a college basketball coach and high school AD. Beckler now works with high-level organizations and sports teams, helping them maximize their potential in the area of leadership, culture, and teamwork. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Heather. I appreciate you having me on. It's awesome to be with you. Of course. I'm really excited for this conversation. That was a quick little bio. So is there anything that you want the audience to know about you before we get started? It was a good one. Thank you. I appreciate the intro. Yeah, I just, I've spent all my life in coaching. I'm passionate about leadership and helping people grow and and become the best versions of themselves. I know that sounds cliche, but that's what we try to do. And, you know, I try to make the future a little bit better by working with youth now and working with young people and working with college age to try to help them be better leaders so they can be better, you know, husband, wives, business people, educators, whatever in their communities, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Definitely. I think that it's really important that we have mentors in our lives and especially in our youth. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation about how you're basically changing the lives of people. So I'm really excited to jump in. So let's just do it. Let's get started. So I kind of like to take my guests back through their lives a little bit. I think that it helps shape and tell the story of where you are today when we learn how you grew up and all of those. So what was life like for Jamie back in high school kind of days? Yeah, taking me way, way back. But yeah, you know, I was a sports kid. I played, you know, if it was going on, I was playing it. I was the stereotypical, you know, whatever season it was, that's the sport I was playing. And, you know, that partly because, you know, we had one TV, I was the remote control. You know, I had to get up and walk across the room if I was going to change the station. And it was like three channels and it was black and white. So it wasn't very exciting. So we had to go out and play. My mom and dad didn't let me have Atari. They didn't let me play video games necessarily. So it was sports. And so I grew up playing sports, grew up going to camps, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, basketball became kind of the main sport for me. That was my love. And, you know, I wanted to be a great basketball player. But in seventh grade, I had this teacher, Judy Shannon, and, you know, stereotypical English teacher scares everybody to death, you know, the the scary English teacher. But she had this little library of books in the corner of her classroom. And I discovered this book, They Call Me Coach. And it was by this legendary coach named John Wooden, who won 10 national titles with UCLA. And as a seventh grader, I'd love to say that I was so mature that I knew right away that I wanted to be a coach because of John Wooden. That wasn't necessarily the case. But what I knew was I wanted a coach like John Wooden. What I read in his book, that book was that, you know, he treated people pretty much fairly. He treated people, whether they were the worst player on the team or the star, he treated them well. And I wanted a coach like that when I was making shots 
or missing shots or making turnovers or whatever. I wanted a coach that was still helping me and grow and develop. So I wasn't quite yet to the point of, Hey, I want to do this for a living and make other people better. You know, I'm only a seventh grader. I'm not that mature, but I did know I wanted a coach like that. And so as I got older, as I got into high school, as I got into college, it started, I started to transform my thinking into, man, I can be a coach one day and have an impact like John Wooden, but also have an impact like the coaches that I grew up with. And, you know, I had some great coaches along the way that really poured their lives into me and helped me. And so, yeah, high school, college, I was an athlete. I played a lot of sports and high school played a lot of sports in college. That was kind of my identity, you know, sports. I love sports, but I also was into you know, pretty much in high school, every club that you could think of, because if you were in all the clubs and you got more pictures in the yearbook and you had a longer, you know, next to your headshot in the yearbook, you had, you know, it was always a race to see who could have the most stuff next to their name. So chess club didn't know how to play chess, but you go to chess club so that you get chess club next to your picture. So I was that guy, uh, you know, ridiculous. I know shaking your head, rolling your eyes, but, and then in college, I was involved in student leadership. I was involved in being a resident hall director or a resident hall assistant. I was a tour guide, but I was also in sports. We also started FCA fellowship of Christian athletes at our school. So I was involved in a lot of things, you know, keeping me off the streets, keeping me out of trouble. It also kept me from doing schoolwork all the time. You know, I got real busy and I was a three point three GPA in high school, 3.3 in college and 3.3 in grad school. So I pretty much did just enough to be a decent student, but not enough to take me away from playing Madden video games and playing other sports and being involved in clubs and stuff. Yeah. So what was that shift where you decided that you also wanted to make that difference in people's lives? Like where was it in high school that you were like, okay, now I'm really in sports. Like these are games that actually matter. They have, you know, it's not, you know, middle school, it's, you got championships. There are recruiters looking, you know, at you. So when did it switch from just wanting to be an athlete to then wanting to be a coach? Yeah. I learned early on that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, you know, even though that's everybody's goal growing up. And so then it's like, okay, I'm just going to be a history teacher and a coach in high school. Cause that's what I knew, you know, that's what coaches were. They were like the history teacher. And then when I went to college, I realized that, you know, you could be a college coach and that really was attractive to me, not having to teach in high school. So that's kind of what I started looking at. But, you know, in high school, I had great coaches, you know, really took an interest in me, really helped me be a better leader. And I made a lot of mistakes, even when I was a captain of a team, you know, I think of so many mistakes I made, just being a stupid kid, a punk kid. And I was one of the better leaders. I was one of the better kids. And yet I was still making all these stupid mistakes, but yet my coaches had patience with me. They helped me out. I get into college and now all of a sudden I'm not this great athlete anymore. You know, everybody's kind of caught up to me and, you know, like in basketball, my best friend is the water cooler and the athletic trainer. You know, I'm sitting at the end of the bench now. I'm not playing very much. And yet I have coaches that are valuing me, Jamie Beckler, not just I'm not making baskets anymore and I'm not very good and I'm not helping them keep their jobs, but I'm on the team and they're still valuing me. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know, because we all are people and we all have value, even if we're not playing as well as some other people. And I'm like, okay, I can make a difference. I can do this one day. I can help somebody feel better and feel more significant. And also during this time, I was a camp counselor in the summers to make a little extra money at a Christian camp. 
and you talk, you know, no matter what your religion or faith is, you know, most of the time we want to be bigger, a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so about this time, I'm at this Christian camp as a counselor and I'm starting to examine, you know, what can I do to have a bigger purpose in life? And I'm like, I don't want to go to Africa and like translate Bibles and go to deserts and make wells and for water, you know, even though those are great things, I don't want to do that. You know, for me going to Canada as a kid in Michigan, that's the international travel that I want. I don't want to go out of the country. So I'm like, you know what, but I can have a bigger purpose by helping people, helping kids with basketball. So instead of, you know, translating Bibles or doing those kind of things, I can teach basketball. And I can help people be better like coaches have helped me. So essentially give back. So it was in college, kind of just all this kind of stuff put together of, all right, I'm not as good of an athlete anymore, but my coaches still value me and trying to find a bigger purpose in life. Like, you know, what's the meaning of life? What's this all about? And it's like, okay, I can have a purpose by giving back and helping others have a great experience. And so that's kind of you know, in a nutshell, you know, a whole lot of self-reflection and stuff boiled down into just a couple minutes there. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just fascinating the journey that people go on when they are deciding like what they want to do with their lives. And I think that it's so important for people to hear those journeys as well, just because when you go, when you're 18 years old and you're like, all right, time to pick a college and a major, you have two months, go do it. And you're not prepared for anything that you're doing. And then you get into college and you're like, even you, like you said, you were like, well, I was going to be a history teacher. Then you get to college and you're like, well, maybe I don't have to do that. And it's just like all of these different things that nobody ever teaches you that nobody ever lets you know that this is okay to like not do what you wanted to do at 18 or anything like that. So I think it's really cool to just hear those journeys. I went through four, speaking of that, I went through four majors in, in college. I finally came to the communication major. And I would like to say it was this epiphany of, you know, one day I'm going to be communicating or one day I'm going to be on stages speaking to thousands of people. But it was, my girlfriend said I didn't communicate very well. And at the same time, a senior that I got to know said that it was the easiest major. All you do is really just sit around and talk about stuff. So I was like, sold you know, that's going to help my relationship with my girlfriend. And it's an easy A. And I don't know if it helped my relationship. We ended up breaking up. So maybe that didn't work. But communication ended up being a pretty easy A for me. But it was really helpful for me. But yeah, you go into college, you know, at 18 or 17, you know, you're at your graduation party from high school, you know, your graduation party, a million people ask you what you're going to do with your life. And it's like, you think, you know, Oh, I'm going to be a history teacher or whatever. And it's like, you get to college and, and your eyes are opened up, you know, no matter whether you've grown up in a big city like Atlanta, or you grow up in some little rural country town with 50 people in your graduating class or whatever, there's a bigger world out there and you don't realize it until you get to college or, you know, you go study abroad or you, whatever. Once you get out of high school, you realize there's this huge world out there that you never even knew. It's like the movie that, what is it? The crooks or whatever with the, I butchered that name, but where they're in the cave, the cave people. Oh, the crudes. The crudes. Yes. The crudes. And all they know is their one cave and the cave is awesome. It was like, I was in this cave and then I went to college and it's like, Oh, all these things. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. And it's just, I wish that we gave a better opportunity to kids to learn and to realize that I think it'd save a lot of debt. <laughs> college debt, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> so 
you know, you graduate college and what's your first move? Did you go right into coaching? Did you, you know, what was that like? Was there a failure that, you know, that you had that kind of maybe pushed you in a different direction or how, you know, what was just like that first kind of moment right outside of college? And I went directly from college to Kent State University to be a graduate assistant with the men's basketball team and to teach classes. So I'm teaching classes to essentially students two years younger than me. And I'm teaching like billiards and badminton. And I'm essentially staying one chapter ahead of the students. I don't necessarily, I'm not any good at billiards. I'm not, I don't even know what badminton is, but they've got to teach. So if any of you have taken out a lot of loan, gone to college and taken these phys ed classes from somebody, realize that they might not even know what they're talking about. They're just a chapter ahead of you. So that was me. But I went to be a graduate assistant right away because I figured if I could have a master's degree, that would open up a few more doors for me as a coach. And so I did that. But I made, once again, I made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, I was learning at the time. I'm still young. And, you know, I'm going in there. I'm getting a lot of mentors, but I'm also learning a lot of mistakes. And I've always been one that's tried to learn from others. So if Heather makes a mistake, I try to learn from Heather's mistake because life's too short to make all of them ourselves. So, but still I'm learning, but then I'm still making all these mistakes because I'm young and I don't know what I don't know. But those two years as a graduate assistant really shaped who I was, shaped my beliefs in how I was going to coach, how I was going to deal with young people. The head coach that I worked with was an amazing motivator. He inspired people. He took chances on people. He took a lot of kids from the inner city, a lot of kids who this was the first person in their family that went to college. And he was able to understand them. He was able to help them and it gave them chances. And that spoke to me a lot. One of the assistant coaches who I dealt with directly, he was kind of my supervisor as the graduate assistant. Man, he made everybody feel like they were special. You know, he would call up and just as simple things like calling up to make hotel reservations for our team. He would make that front desk clerk feel special. He would take an interest in her or him and he would, you know, and then when I would see us on the road, you know, he would go talk to somebody at a restaurant, talk to someone, it doesn't matter where it was at, he made them feel special. And so all those kinds of things, I saw people treating people the right way. Now, I would love to say the rest of my life was rainbows and butterflies and I always treated people the right way, but that wasn't always the case. But I learned those kinds of things and learned how important people are because almost it really doesn't matter what profession we're in, what job we're in, we're going to be dealing with people. We're in a people business and no matter what you're in. So everybody listening to this, you're in a people business. Even if you're unemployed, if you have family, if you have friends, you have, you're in the people business. You're in the business of interacting and relating with people. And so that kind of went with my communication background, the interpersonal communication background. And so, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, but I also learned a lot. I also met my wife, while I was a GA during those years. And so obviously that makes it special as well. Yes, definitely. So how, so did you get your graduate then? Did you continue into communication or did you do something that was kind of coaching related? Yeah, great question. I went into sports administration for my master's degree, which would open up a few more doors for me as a coach, maybe as an administrator, like an athletic director. So that would open up a few more doors. So, you know, I majored in sports 
you know, the meathead, the dumb jock. I majored in sports and grad school. And then from there on, I went to be a head, an assistant coach in Indiana for a legend, a legend in coaching, learned a ton from him. I was one of three people, assistant coaches on staff, and all three of us became head coaches. So that guy, you know, that was the head coach was really a developer of people. He developed us to be future head coaches. So all three of us became head coaches eventually. So that was cool. You know, I made my first five years as being two years as a graduate assistant and then three years as an assistant coach. So my first five years as an assistant, I made a total of $36,000, $36,000 total. In two of those years, I was married. So I sacrificed quite a bit financially. But my sixth year, so after five years being an assistant coach, my sixth year, I became a head coach. And so part of that was because I had prepared, you know, worked for people that were great, but I prepared to be a head coach. That was my goal. That was my dream to be a head coach. And so I was able to, you know, luckily be a head coach at the age of 27. And that's when I actually transitioned from coaching men to coaching women. So my first ever head coaching job was also the first time I ever coached women. It was also the first time I moved away from the North where it snows and I moved to Texas. So a lot of transition, a lot of new stuff, but you know, that was fun. And I've always been somebody that can transition pretty quickly and adapt pretty quickly. What was it like, you know, like the differences and what did you learn going from coaching men to coaching women? Yeah. Great question. And there are some physical differences. I mean, anybody that says that there aren't hasn't dealt with people, I mean, or athletes. There are some differences in general. Obviously, Shakari Richardson, the you know, the US's fastest woman and the probably the world's fastest woman is faster than me. Okay. Right. Even though I'm male and she's female. But in general, there are differences between males and females. And so that was something I had to learn. You know, we had some plays that it takes this amount of time to get from one inline to the other inline. So like last second shots or last second plays, we had to adapt some things and I didn't adapt real quickly on those. The time would run out in practice, you know, but here's the biggest thing. And this was, you know, every female out there is going to roll their eyes about this. But soon after I took over the job, we had, I got them together after practice and I'm like, all right, we got five minutes, go ahead and get a drink. We got five minutes and then yearbook people are coming in. They're going to take pictures. Well, this was like five minutes after practice. You would have thought that, I mean, we had a mutiny on our hands. You would have thought that I said, the, talked about their mama, that it was the worst thing in the world. You know, when I coach the guys, it's like, all right, guys, five minutes, five minutes for pictures. And it's like, come on, coach, let's go. Let's hurry it up. Everyone, you know, they'll wipe off their sweat and then they'll pass around a tie or, you know, they'll, they don't care. You know, females, you know, I learned you can't just spring the picture on them in five minutes. So obviously that's not always going to be the case. And, you know, most females are rolling their eyes, but I never thought about that. That was just like, I'm a get things done guy. I'm a, like, I don't care. I don't like pictures. Guys don't like pictures most of the time. So that was one of the biggest mistakes I made early on. But, you know, you learn and, you know, people ask that question often of what's the difference between coaching guys and girls. And there are some differences. But what I would say in general is people, you have to learn each person, each person's individual. So if Whitley and Heather are on my team, they might even be from the same hometown, but they have different likes, different fears, different ambitions. Well, they're two females from the same town. They grew up together, best friends. 
yeah, but they're going to be different. You can't coach them or lead them all the same way. So just to make a blanket statement that, all right, coaching guys, you do this, coaching females, you do this, isn't always going to be the case because even within a female team, there's, you might have 15 females and they're all going to have different personalities. They're all going to have 15 way, things that make them tick, 15 things that scare them, 15 goals. You know, so you have to get to know people as people. And sometimes we, that's a problem we get into just in life, but even as a coach or a leader is we put people in corners or we put people in a box or we paint with a broad brush and we say, well, Heather's like this exactly because she's a female and she lives in Atlanta or she's this, this, and this. So that means she's this way without ever getting to know her. And so I think as leaders or as people just in general, if we get to know people and understand them a little bit better then all of a sudden our relationships are going to be better. Then we're going to get along with people a whole lot better than we do now. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.